Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. My name is Casey Cheshire, and I am your host for this epic journey. And today's show, we have a sponsor. Who's that? Cheshire Impact. Hey, who are these guys? They're here to help you maximize your use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Now, my guest for today is really cool. I'm going to dive right into it. Really cool. We, we almost just talked for hours yesterday um, beforehand. It was like, oh, wait, shouldn't we wait to leave something for the podcast? And I think we left a few things. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's a member. Uh, he's a part of. He's, a, he's owning multiple companies. Uh, he's also a speaker. He's on podcasts left and right. He's speaking on stages all the time. Founder and the CEO of Solutions 8 and many more. Um, Kasim Oslam, how are you, sir? Yeah, see, I'm living the dream, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's so it's so good to introduce you to everyone because we had such a good time chatting yesterday, and you know all I had to do was just mention the theme to you, and then away we went. So let me just tell everyone else what it is. The theme really is around that roadmap that we were talking about, and in each each month this year has been around that roadmap. We found people with marketing automation tools investing heavily in technology, and then using it like like Mailchimp. Sorry, MailChimp, but they were using like a free tool. They're like, hey, you're, you're investing in these tools. We want to actually get the most out of them and use them. Realized, hey, no roadmap. So we thought, okay, we'll make one. So each, each month this year, we've talked about a different step in that 10-step roadmap. Now we're on the fun stuff. Now we're talking about optimization. We're talking about testing and really refining things and, and really targeting conversions and revenue, trying to make that all happen. And so I'm so stoked that you're here to help us decipher things. So what I want to do is just pass you Thor's hammer and, and I just want you to start smashing myths. Yes, you received it. Now start smashing myths. The bogus strategy maybe around this testing or optimization you're seeing. So obviously you're helping lots of clients out with this. What, what do you just want to smash right away? All right. So the first myth that we're going to smash the hell out of, um, it, it's kind of the normal playbook from a marketing standpoint. And it doesn't matter if you're working with an agency or you're doing things in-house or doing things on your own. Uh, the, the whole concept behind testing anything is that you actually need to test first and then move into strategy creation, automation, et cetera. And right. Bill Gates has a great quote that I love, and I'm going to butcher it, but I'll get most of it out. He says that automation applied to an inefficient system just amplifies the inefficiency. Hell yeah. And, which is, it makes so much sense, right? When you hear him say that, but we're so guilty of this every single day. And this is true for everybody, myself included. So here's myth number one is that you need to start with everything all at once. Um, when you move into a marketing um, engagement or platform or career, you know, process, everybody's going to say, okay, well, we need to do search engine optimization and paid advertising and social media marketing and content marketing and organic marketing and outreach and direct mail and press releases and 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 right. and they want to do everything right out of the gate. Now, the reason agencies want to do this is because they make more money when they ah, sneaky, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, we sneaky. need you to do everything, and by the way, all of those things cost money. Um, Internal marketing teams are a little bit different. I think that there's, there's kind of a, I don't know, there's like a marketing shame, so to speak. If it's like, oh, well, man, if you're not on Snapchat, you have to be on Snapchat. And it's like, all right, well, let me just load this up onto this list of junk that I have to take care of. Uh, here's the way I address this myth. You are going to make mistakes. As a matter of fact, marketing is failing forward, right? It's mm. you making mistakes, figuring out what works, and then, and then modifying that so that you can, you can move further up the ladder or whatever analogy we want to draw upon. Sure. If you start with everything, if you do it all at once, you're making those same mistakes, but however many times that you, you have marketing mechanisms that are out yeah. there. So if you're moving into to 10, let's say, new marketing avenues, 
then you're making those same mistakes 10 times and you're just making them in, in a new context each and every time <laughs> yeah. you get really practical with it. Like, you know, if you're, your your value proposition, let's say the way that you articulate what it is that you're, you're selling and why it's a value to your prospect. If that value proposition is resonating with your end user, well, mm. that's a mistake you're not making as many times as you are uh, building marketing channels. So right. the way to address this, in case you stop me if I go off on tangents, man, because I do that a yeah, lot. No, this, this is what we do, man. This is Tangent Alley. Yeah. Dude, I love Tangent Alley. I'm going to yeah. steal that from you. That should be the name of a podcast. So it should be. <laughs> we should do that. We'll make yeah. another one. Did we just go off on a tangent on tangents? That's on tangent on tangents. Yeah. Um, you want to start with the marketing mechanism that you think is going to yield the most results. Okay. Uh, closest to the bottom of the funnel. Now this is really important and it's going to get like a little that. cerebral. Okay. So, so poke holes in my logic. If you think that, you know, it needs to be challenged a little bit, but marketers start too close to the top of the funnel. And just to remind all of our listeners in case you're not like super keyed in on marketing verbiage or whatever. Um, if you, if you can visualize a sales funnel in your mind, the top of the funnel is where people go when they're casually interested. Right. They might not even necessarily know they want your product or service per se, but they know yeah. they have a need. Like, oh, okay, you know, I, I, my service level agreements for my hardware is expiring and, and I need to figure that out or whatever, right? right. Like, I, I need this type of software. Yeah, yeah. So they know they have a need and that's top of the funnel. And top of the funnel engagement is that's the fun stuff to write. That's the content that really sets everybody's hair on fire and it's, it's easy to get ranked and it's fun to talk about. Um, and it's a lot of like, the, how do you, you know, how do you know if or, or where do we or, um, you know, it's kind of like those rhetorical questions where you dive into all the fun stuff that you know. Yeah. Well, it doesn't make sense for you to establish proof of concept with top of the funnel narrative because top of the funnel narrative doesn't make any damn money. Yeah. So you want to, when you're, when you're working to prove concept, you want to go as close to the bottom of the funnel as you possibly can. What words do I need to say in order to get people to pay me? Sure. And the way to do that is with uh, search is with search is the strongest indication of intent. So when we validate what's going to work from a marketing perspective, we use Google ads, uh, Bing, Yahoo Gemini, people chuckle a little bit when I bring up Bing and Yahoo, but you'd actually be surprised at, at the results they yield because, you know, they don't have a, a large user base, but the user base that they do have, they tend not to be super sophisticated from a technical perspective. That means they're not going to be searching quite as much. Yeah. Uh, they also tend to veer a little bit more affluent, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. So don't ignore those, but search is the strongest indication of intent on the planet. And I've used this analogy before, and I'm actually going to, I'm stealing it from somebody else. I just don't remember who I think. It was somebody. <laughs> somebody. Somebody. Yeah. Some guy. So credit to the guy, the guy or the gal at the place at the time. Um, and this is going to get a little, a little sacrilegious Casey. So forgive me and pull me back. If I'm offending anybody. Um, if you think about what God was as a construct, like a hundred thousand years ago, okay. There's, there's people that are, they're hanging out, there's shepherds in a valley and they have no idea what's going on. Why does it rain? Why doesn't it rain? Why is right. my kid sick? Why am I hungry? What's going on? So God as a construct was the entity to whom we decided to pose all of those questions, right? Hmm. Like God was the being that we could kind of leave those questions with and we were comfortable there. Now, flash forward to today, and I'm not saying that we've replaced God or that God does or does not exist. What I am saying though is the entity to whom we now pose our questions is Google. Right? Can you get behind me with that one? Like, is that have you written a blog post? You know, Google is God. Is now God. Yeah, no, I totally should though. So now again, I'm not I'm not I'm truly not trying to be sacrilegious, but what I am trying to do is 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 emphasize the importance of this mechanism. Google is yeah. not just like the yellow pages of, of yeah. the 21st century. Google is pretty close to an archetypal deity 
um, in that we go to Google for everything that we need. If you, if you, you know, purchasing airline tickets or, or you want to figure out what the rash is that you're dealing with, you're going to yeah. go straight to Google. Google is the strongest indication of intent and existence. And so if you want to figure out what it is that people want, what they resonate with, what messaging works, then we start with where intent is indicated because every other marketing mechanism is interrupter marketing. And if yeah. I interrupt your day, all that really means is that I'm good. It doesn't yeah. mean that you are interested in what I have to say. True. But if you go to Google and say, okay, I'm looking for marketing automation services and I place an ad in front of you and that ad resonates, that's a strong indicator of intent. So just going back to the myth that we're smashing the hell out of, don't start with everything. Yeah, As a matter yeah. of fact, don't start with anything other <laughs> than where intent is, is first indicated. And in most cases, that's in search and, and with Google, not all cases, but many, many cases. And if you can start with where intent is indicated, you get to see a lot of things. You start knowing which key phrases are most valuable. Yeah. Um, and it's, I promise you, it's never, ever, ever, ever what you think. I've been doing really? this for 12 years and key phrases shock the daylights of many. Every single day, every campaign we ever run, you look at something you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Or we didn't know that phrase existed like brownstones. We've got a real estate investment campaign that we're running in brownstones somewhere along the East Coast is how people refer to their houses. I would have no idea. Oh, that's that, yeah. But that ends up being synonymous with house and, and brownstone ended up being a really high performing key, key phrase for us in this little teeny tiny town where it was relevant. Um, you know what ad copy uh, is going to resonate the most. You know, verbiage, language is so important. Language is one of the only things that separates us from the animals. As an intellectual construct, it's the most important thing that we have available to us. Right. We need to know what words, what, what verbs and adjectives and nouns, what things resonate with our prospects. And the way to do that is to test that with ad copy and then also landing page copy. And you get to do that with search. Um, value proposition. Are you priced right? You know, I mean, like yeah. you, your competitors might come out and say, hey, we, we do, you know, uh, uh, free analysis. Well, if you're not doing a free analysis, you're not aligned with what yeah. the market has set. So I, I'm not trying to push search too hard. I'm not telling you it's the end all be all. I'm not telling you it's the only thing that's ever going to work for your business. All I'm saying is it's, it's the, the litmus test. It's the best predictive indicator of what is going to work. And then you get to go invest in all the other marketing mechanisms that, you know, will help you expand on um, your marketing message, but it's the first and strongest indicator and it'll save you a ton of money. Don't go run SEO without running PPC because right. SEO search engine optimization. If you're trying to rank at the top half of the first page for Google key phrases, it's going to take you six to nine months. And that's right. a fact. So many SEOs like to say, Oh, 90 days or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. which is, it's a total <laughs> life. It's, oil salesman. Yo, to the nth degree. Yeah. They're the worst. Yeah. They're the worst. And I'm one of them. Um, but you know, it'll take you six to nine months before you begin to, to yeah. rank on the top half of the first page for high commercial intent key phrases. And by that point, now you're going to determine whether or not these key phrases are even worth it. Why not go pay, you know, go run some Google campaigns, figure out in a couple of months what's working for you and then begin to invest in the key phrases that work the best. Um, and Casey, I've got a, a good example of that. Do you mind yeah. me? Am I, am I going too much? Man? No, this is good. I, okay. We'll come back to you. We want to break down like why or how that all happens but yeah definitely throw out the example yeah i mean i realize i'm spewing like a fire hose forgive me i get really good, excited man. about this stuff. good it's hardcore marketing man yeah this is if you're listening to this and you can't handle it, just stop listening just yeah. close your eyes just yeah. keep listening yeah go listen to npr <laughs> um so here's one of the best examples I have. We yeah. have the highest performing real estate investment campaign on the planet and I can prove it with data. Um, and this is a highly, highly competitive market. People pay, you know, well over a thousand dollars a lead in many, many markets. Jeez. So we're is in that more than, than like fibromyalgia and all these other, uh, well, yeah, we get pretty, you know, I mean, there's like mesothelioma and yeah. Plastic surgery, Beverly Hills. Like there, there are some campaigns <laughs> that are more expensive than this one, but it's, sure. it's one of the most expensive campaigns. It's nationwide. I can tell Got you that. It. 
sure. you know, so many of those campaigns tend to be relegated to like, you know, with, with medical issues and, and whatever it is people are facing, you're probably going after like geriatric centers, right? So you're sure. in Florida and parts of the Midwest, but for real estate, everybody wants to sell a house. Everybody wants to buy a house. So the real sure. estate investment campaign is, is nationally ubiquitous. And it's a lot of fun because I get to see how different areas of the country respond to different things. Right. Um, What's really interesting is we had two key phrases that we were bidding on that we were thought were analog we, we thought they were analogous to each other. So there's so my house fast yeah. and so my home fast. And in my mind, I'm like, that is the same shit. It's like just, you know, small nuance. They're semantically equivalent. And I was actually kind of right because they cost the same, same cost yeah. per click. They had the same conversion rate. They had roughly the same cost per lead. The leads at first blush appeared to be the same quality. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, same key phrases, same leads, same bids. Let's go. We're tracking the closed deal. So we're tracking these deals through fruition. And what we found, and it took us about a year and a half before we had enough data to definitively make a decision here. But what we found is people that use the word home are less likely to sell their property to you than people that use the word house. Mm. I can't tell you why this is definitively. Anecdotally, I think it's because people that use the word home have a stronger psychological attachment. to the Yeah, property. totally. Right? Makes sense. sense. Yeah. But I you didn't hear know that, that, Frank. You hear that, Frank? And yeah. all those realtors listening? Yeah, these are... Facts just for you. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping knowledge bombs here. He owes me some money. Yeah, he um, does. <laughs> if I had started SEO, I can tell you that's a highly, highly, highly competitive key phrase. That would have cost uh, well into the tens of thousands to begin to optimize for from a content creation and link building standpoint. Yeah. And if I had made the wrong decision, because Google forces you to make those semantic decisions, you don't get both. Mm -hmm. um, had I made the wrong decision, I'd have spent 18 months optimizing for the wrong key phrase and, and maybe never known that it was inadequate. So running where intent begins at the bottom of the funnel, yeah. I found that house is superior to home and now that's what we optimize for. And we have 1500 key phrases. So imagine there's, there's, there's a lesson to be learned with every single one of those key phrases and every single ad copy you run and every single landing page that you build. So smashing the myth and just go back and drive it home and put a bow on it. You don't have to do everything. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't. Start small. Start really narrow your focus at where the rubber really meets the road. I think that's typically where intent is, is uh, you know, strongest, yeah. uh, which happens more often than not to be with search. And then use that to expand into other campaigns. Yeah, this is huge, man. I mean, the uh, intent. Yeah, mic drop. Love this. It's on a stand, but I'll like. Yeah, right. You're like, yeah. oh, no, I just broke my $300 mic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the people that go through their mics like that, actually, they survive those drops. But um. Yeah, they're built you know, to you know, intent. And you mentioned, you know, Google, people are actually going out there and they're typing, I want to do something or they're praying to Google, help me with something. <laughs> Whereas the interruption, and I just thinking about like Facebook, right? Someone's on Facebook, they're catching up on photos. There's an ad in the right hand column that you're like, I don't even remember the last time I looked at one because I just kind of zoned it out. Yeah. But let's say there was, I don't know what would get my attention, you know, I don't know, something. And it gets yeah, my attention, CrossFit. you know, and I'm looking at it. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And so I look at it I'm like, oh, oh, that's cool. Now, normally I'm ignoring it, but maybe as a marketer, I'm clicking on it just to see if they have a landing page. Right. But otherwise, I'm probably ignoring it. Maybe it's inside the feed, you know, um, that's sort of interrupting you. I, and I wasn't trying like, oh, a tent, you know, or like some outdoor gear. Right. Like, well, I'm not really in the mood, the mood right now to buy these things. Thanks for, thanks for showing it to me. But I'm not, not, you know, to your point, more higher top of the funnel. I'm, right. you know, maybe I looked at one point a month ago, but I'm not really feeling it. And especially in the B2B world, if we're getting people top of funnel, or especially if we're testing top of funnel, that not only will, will um, 
are they are they less likely to buy? And you have a bunch of different data points now. But also, it might take time. You know, B two B sales. You know, could it's not like that quick little purchase. It might take a couple months. We have some folks we work with where it's like six to nine or twelve months. You know, it's almost like a badge of honor for them to say, "Well, yeah, we've got a nine month sales cycle," which means you're not necessarily even getting ROI on that lead source to really understand if you've got something going there nine months later. So you want to start with those buyers who are showing the intent. You know, it's interesting. There's, there's like that high level intent of like, I'm just Googling flowers. And there's like, I really need to buy this thing for my wife because it's about to Valentine's day. You know, right. there's like that different level of intent. Well, so that's a brilliant point, yeah. Casey, and something that I push with my clients. The, the intent doesn't need to be like, I have a client, they're one of the largest uh, uh, manufacturers of ophthalmic equipment. Of what? What equipment? equipment? So like optometrists and ophthalmologists. Oh, cool. so you've ever been to an optometrist and they put that thing in front of your face and now instead of like him switching the lenses back and forth, it just does it all automatically? Oh, sick. No, yeah. I haven't seen that. Wicked Ninja stuff. They build and sell that. It's it's pretty wow. cool organization. But what's interesting about it is is there's number there's there's a few ways to characterize intent, right? So like if I'm an optometrist and I go to Google and I say I need to buy a new exam lane, of course, <laughs> right? Like that's who yes. we want to go after. We want to be right in front of them. But here's what's really interesting is is the, the founder of the company shared this with me. I forget, but some significant percentage of her, her sales come from people who have had uh, uh, a breakage in a certain type of, uh, of equipment. So, and I, mm. I forget what the piece of equipment is called, but the lens breaks and it just happens over time naturally. Yeah. And so what she does is she does a pivot. Like they sell this lens, of course. And she's like, look, if you thought about upgrading your exam lanes, cause we have, you know, all this cool equipment and it saves you a bunch of time mm. and it helps, you know, with whatever stress fractures and all these things that optometrists should deal with that I didn't know about. So wow. a good, a good articulation of intent is somebody going to Google saying, Hey, my lens broke. Yeah. Like, how do I replace this lens? They haven't said, I want to buy an exam lane. Right. But if, especially in B2B sales, if you know the conversion path of your prospect, I used to do big software builds. And I can yep. tell you, software builds usually start when a piece of software breaks. Yeah. Like, hey, how do I connect? You know, this API is broken. So if you know, right. okay, this specific API breaks often. And if I can teach people how to do that, then I can segue over to this. Or, you know, like we have a client that does um, service level agreements for large scale pieces of, of uh, machinery. Um, the SLA sale doesn't happen because people want SLAs. They don't even know what an SLA is. Right. It happens when they say, Hey, I need to buy new equipment. Well, maybe you don't, maybe instead of new equipment, you need an SLA. So don't think about intent only at the extreme bottom of your sales funnel. Think about intent as it can catalyze the sales funnel in the mind of your prospect. They have a problem. They're not necessarily searching for a solution. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. If they're searching for the solution, definitely get in front of them. But those clicks are more expensive too. But try to get in front of them when they have the problem. And, and again, that's just, it's, it's the miracle of Google. If I go to Google and I say, you know, hey, why does my stomach hurt? Well, if you're a doctor and, you know, you help treat appendicitis or, you know, let's say it's a yeah. gal, and you know that the predictive indicators of pregnancy and you're a doula, like little things like that, you can really get ahead of the curve. One last example, I can tell you from a real estate perspective, something insane, something like 60% of all people um, who purchase a house will end up purchasing a new car within 90 days. That's why you have all these uh, huh. car dealerships that, that partner with brokerages. And the minute you buy a house, you get barraged with all this mail. Well, if you <laughs> wait, wait, how, how many months they, they buy a house and then... Yeah, you buy a house and then I forget what the exact timeline is, but it's, it's within six months for sure. It's, like, it's nope. within that year. And I think it's even faster than that. Like you buy the house, you buy the car. Um, and I don't know why that is. But because we know that, you want to get in front of people. Yeah. So if people are looking for title companies. Maybe it's time to start dripping, you know, new car deals on them. It, 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 and, and again, maybe that's a bad example, but get into the minds of your prospect, understand what you know about their conversion path, their path to a purchase, and try to get as close to the top as you can 
but use intent as the predictive indicator. Did that make yes. sense? Is that helpful? Is there yeah. value? So, you know, sometimes, sometimes we even say that uh, as marketers, we want to avoid um, with our, with ourselves, avoid just focusing on the symptom because there's probably some sort of underlying cause. Right. But that same idea of these symptoms is often what people might be Googling. They may not know the underlying cause or the fact that there is a fix and it's called this. They just know the lens is broke or they just know right. I don't have enough leads. Help. Right. You know, I don't, I, or sales hates me and we have bad alignment. Like, I don't know what to do. Well, the solution might be X, Y, and Z, but go, you know, those symptoms uh, and some symptoms show more intent than others. Interesting. Yeah, very well said. Some symptoms show more intent than others. I like that. Quote me. Quote yeah. me. Bam. <laughs> End up on Twitter with the flowers around it. And everything. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay. So from there, so, it, and I love this too, in the SEO, I mean, you brought up this other point, which was don't start with SEO because it takes time. So not only does the B2B process take time or those longer sales may take couple months to a year whatnot but seo itself will so I, I think the challenge is if people start with seo they might and if you work your ass off six months later you might start ranking for something only to find out that you don't even want those terms right you don't, yeah. you don't even want them you're at the wrong spot you're climbing a ladder only to find out the ladder's propped up against the wrong wall <laughs> you're in the wrong house yeah right? <laughs> firefighter puts the, the 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 ladder up and he's like climbing the wrong up oh, no fire's over there oh and so many people, you know, it's the fear of missing out, right? And that's something that uh, as marketers we capitalize on, sadly, but FOMO. Oh gosh. And I can't tell you how many clients I hit, even the B2B space that come to me and say, Hey, I know I need to be doing social media. Yeah. And so I'm a little combative. I'll say, why, why do you know that? Like, what makes you think that? And they're like, well, I just know, like people tell me and you know, I, I hear about it a lot and read about it a lot. If there's not a specific use case for you to do social media marketing, don't do it. Um, now, I'm not telling you don't seek out the use case because I think it can be really powerful, but it, it sure. bothers me when people think they need to do things just because that's like the trend or because they went yeah. to some seminar and, and Grant Cardone started telling them yeah, right? social media. Throwing uh, some stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah name drop it a little bit. Um, make sure that you have a specific use case and then make sure that you have a strategy built in order to execute on that use case. And if you don't, then you know, it stands to reason that it might be time to take a step back and look at what has worked and, and then how you can, how you can draw from that. Okay. I like this. It's kind of like, so we've smashed this myth. Now we're getting into, uh, you know, it sounds like your process for proving out, you know, proving yeah. out something. So let me break this down. So we start with a use case. You want to build that. What does that look like to you when you're building a, a use case out? Well, so you really, it's, you know, we begin with the end of the mind, right? You want to steal from okay. Steve. And I can tell you one of the things, and this is a tangent, but it's important. Marketers don't respect sales. Um, the, the marketing department, the sales department historically have always been at odds, which is interesting. Yeah. In my mind, they're the same department. It's totally. Yeah. Two fingers on the same hand or whatever analogy we're going to use. Um, the marketing team needs to go chat with sales about what works. Because yeah. I can tell you when I'm sitting down with sales guys, they say shit that blows me away. And it's stuff that I never would have considered. So, you know, when I work with, uh, with uh, uh, an organization, especially B2B organizations that are, you know, sales heavy, which is most of them, yeah. um, I want to talk to the sales team. Because when I talk to the C-level execs and I talk to the marketing team, they tell me this narrative, like, this is who we are. This is why people buy from us. This is why they like us. Here's our mission, vision, values. And it's all this blue sky, yeah. you know, like on a website, you can have a poster printed with it, but none of it's really tangible. I get yeah. in, I talk to the sales team and they're like, it's this. People buy from me because my thing does this thing. Like this is the, and it's always like, it's distilled down to, you know, like I have a hinge that is, you know, more solid than the other guy's hinge. And, yeah. and the suits don't like hearing that. They don't like hearing that their business is just a hinge. 
They want to think like, oh, you know, back in 1979 when we developed this product and it's none of that. And so you really want to talk to sales and getting back to what, you know, like the blueprint, figure out what's working for you now. Because if you're in an organization, you've already proven concepts from a a value proposition standpoint, digital marketing isn't any different than traditional marketing. These aren't different people. It's not, you know what I mean? They don't speak a different language. They're not, they don't have antennas. It's the same group of people, just it's just an amplified method of communication. So figure out what's working for you now and what's resonating with people now. And then you wanna, you wanna just contextualize that appropriately for the digital space. Right. Um, so step number one is if you're already selling stuff, figure out what's working. And if you're not mm. selling stuff, don't do digital marketing because you know uh, automation applied to an inefficient system just amplifies the inefficiency. I, I cannot begin to tell you how many organizations, our, our primary lead magnet is a free audit. So we'll audit people's ad campaigns and let them know what they're sure. doing right or wrong. And so many people come in and say things like, yeah, you know, we're not, we're not doing a great job with sales. So we thought we would try digital marketing. And in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> you're just, yeah. just going to throw a bunch of money away. Cause I promise yeah. you, you can't, if you can't deal with the leads you're getting from an analog perspective, digital leads are so much harder. These are people that want instant gratification, right? Because we've been, we've been spoiled online. Statistically, people are going to click on 4.3 ads. That's all of the top pack and then an ad. And that means mm-hmm. that they're in front of you and, and you know, essentially four of the competitors. So right. if you're not ready to field leads quickly, answer questions quickly, tell the truth, you know, really deliver your value. Like I said, it's the same group of people, but they're in an ecosystem where they expect you to be much faster, more effective. So get your sales narrative figured out first, make sure that that's a well-oiled machine first, and then move into the digital space and just take what's already working for you and replicate it. Right. Because in some ways marketing can be like, it, it can be the thing that's helping sales scale. Mm-hmm. beyond i mean there's one place i was talking to you and working with them marketing automation they had a whole floor of college grads cold calling professors you know um, a whole floor yeah. and the problem it was like quote working air quotes because they're growing like at one percent i don't know something like that yeah. they were, they were kind of growing and but uh, you know that's not even inflation right so they they were <laughs> i don't know they were they were selling some things, but we yeah. talked them through it and, and they realized that they could do with you know, some automation and with actually the right targeting and talking to the right people and it's not just interrupting people. They could actually, with half the, half the floor, they could do more. Um, and the challenge was they were building a building next door just for this purpose of having more kids calling people. And it was like, oh, what are we going to do with the other building? You know, we, we, well, print it out, I guess. Because yeah, that's what you probably you have. It, you know? I saved you from stocking a building. You're welcome. I did. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. So, start with what's working. You know, the sales aspect. I think that was really key, too, because I've often had conversations where we have sales and marketing in the same room. Ideally, you get them both in that same room and you start asking yeah. them who their best buyer is. And sometimes marketing thinks they know, to your point, they have this sort of blue sky idea. I mean, if you've done buyer persona interviews like we talked about in January, you would know. But if you've missed that part, you may not. But in this particular situation, we were talking to sales and some of the sales didn't know because they were further down the funnel. But there was this one guy who was like the lowest person on the totem pole. He was like that BDR cold caller, you know? Yeah. But he wasn't the cold, he was like, you know, a bad lead would come in, he'd be the one reaching out to it. So he was like first alien contact, you know? Right. And, and he didn't quite, you know, know enough the strategic level to say like, oh, this is what we want. But what he, he shared with us was when I say X, Y, or Z, people actually call me back, you know? And it was like, 
huh, X, Y, or Z. It was specific use cases, hot buttons people had. Whereas it was a nice to have software. But if you had one of these three things happening, it was an oh shit moment. You needed help now. And if he left a voicemail saying, you know, we help specifically with these audits or we, you know, if, if Adobe's suing you for 900 unlicensed copies of Photoshop, you know, we, we help you prep for this so it doesn't happen. You can tell Adobe to go jump, you know, um, and, and people would call them back. And so that became the basis of, you know, future drip campaigns, all that, because we were, you never know, you know, the, the person who might have that, that data to your point, sales has it. Yeah. Well, and I love what you just said, the low man on the totem pole. People yeah. don't think about who they should really be asking these questions to. Right. You know, like the guy, the feet on the street, the one that's customer facing, you know, so much more than we give him credit for. Um, totally. And I love that the guy, you know, I mean, we, we would call those in, in, because we have some people in the automotive industry, the unsold follow-ups. Um, yeah. Unsold follow-up, it's just the worst job in the world. It's, it's <laughs> Is it? Nobody lasts longer than 90 days. It's a lot of ex-convicts. It's just one of those jobs that they can't fill, but you sit in this sweatshop of a room and you just call people that didn't buy a car and you ask them why they didn't buy. Um, but the people with the best insight are all the unsold follow-up guys. Yeah. Right? They're like, well, anytime, I get a, I, anytime I get a mom on the phone, I ask her these three questions. And then they start to, they start to kind of, you know, like what you just said with the avatar interviews, they start to like contextualize it for you so that they know like, well, if I hear this person, then I'm going to do this thing. And that for us is just, it's an absolute goldmine. And so many organizations, not to be disparaging, but so many organizations, they, they ignore those people. Because there's the way that we want to market, right? We romanticize everything and we all want to yeah. be Don Draper. And there's the way we want to be perceived and we want to mm. be approached. And then there's the way that our customers actually perceive us and approach us. Now, I'm <laughs> not saying you, you have to just live into that. You can strive for more, but it, it sure as hell doesn't make sense to like just ignore it and, and you know keep your blinders on. Right. And I feel like a lot of organizations do that. Um, and then you, you remember, also, do you remember oh, those, okay. those four squares, the photos, like, you know, um, what my mom thinks I do, you yeah. know, <laughs> what my friends think I do, um, you know, what my what colleagues think I do, do, what I actually do, you know, yeah. so it's kind of like, and there's always something wild and crazy, you know, marketing things. They're like this YouTube boy, Don Draper, you know, yeah. let me crush, let me, let me, you know, trick these people with my advertisements. But really it's like, you're creating landing pages or email templates, you know, it's like, yeah. You're doing, you're sending another email out. Or you're just stealing from sales. You're taking yeah. what the sales guy says to everybody and you're sending it to, yeah. It's funny. And I know there's so much more to it, but yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting how we don't give enough. I don't know what the word is enough value to what, what works. We're, we're always mm -hmm. ignoring what works, trying to find what works. Um, <laughs> interesting. You know, like, uh, yeah. So, so anyway, step one, figure out what works. And then step two is make sure you put it in the right, in the right context. Um, if you've got like, educational content, that's great for Facebook. People on Facebook like to read. They like to be informed. That's why people go to Facebook, I think, is they argue about politics and learn about things. Facebook is like, you know, our generation's sort of like news engine. Um, yeah. If you've got really good like, like photos, before and after photos, that's great for Instagram because Instagram is, is more visual. It's media-based. Uh, people tend not to click out of Instagram. They don't want to leave the ecosystem. Right. Um, if you, it's if hard you to click out too, right? Oh, they make it impossible. You have yeah. to change your profile link or something. It's really Yeah, by hard. intention. Which is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, why would they Smart. want to lose that traffic? Yeah. So yeah. if you've got good case study content, that's good for LinkedIn. Um, mm. Just just know what it is you have. And you don't have to be a digital marketer. You don't have to have a PhD in this stuff. Just look at the networks. And, and I think anybody can intuit like, oh, yeah, this is kind of why people are here. Um, and this is where, this is who those people are. So, you know, I mean, LinkedIn is obviously really solid for B2B. But guess what? It's really solid for B2B prospecting. 
So mm -hmm. you know who you're going to get on LinkedIn a lot are other salespeople. Because I can tell you who gets scared off of LinkedIn are like, you'll never find a doctor or dentist on LinkedIn ever. Mm. And I can almost irrefutably guarantee that because they get like so heavily hounded by every single, you know, salesperson on the planet because everybody's trying to sell them something. But you can find doctors and dentists on Facebook. Now, they don't say they're a doctor or dentist. You're not going to be able to segment and say, hey, Facebook, give me all the doctors and dentists. But what you can do is kind of back into them from a demographic perspective and then start to drip out content. And we call this pre-qualifier content. So I'll drip out content and say, hey, I know demographically speaking, doctors tend to, to land in this socioeconomic bracket. They tend to be about this age. Um, they tend to believe the kind of these things. Maybe they veer conservative right. in a specific geography. And then I'll push out an article that just says, you know, the seven things that nobody told you about starting a dental practice. And people huh. that click on that, now all of a sudden, like, you're either a dentist or thinking about becoming a dentist, and now I can yeah. sell you my dental stuff. So now I, you pay people to read that content, but the pre-qualified content, if you're not, if you have no interest in dentistry whatsoever, you're not going to click on it. Yeah. So it actually attracts and repels. And you can do that in any industry. You can start to really figure out who people are just by, just by virtue of what they're clicking on. And it doesn't have to be direct. Here's another really interesting example. Um, people that buy land, Raw land, nothing on it. Also buy numismatic coins. That's a uh, an avatar study that we did, and a lot of it has to do. They with buy what? Numismatic coins, like 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 uh, precious metals, gold, silver, but like collectible coins. Really? Yeah, and it dives really deep. So like the government took away all of our gold. A lot of people don't know the government took away our gold in like the 30s. Um, the United States government commandeered people's precious metals. And it, 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 dives, it gets really conspiracy theory-esque. That part is true. Why they did it gets conspiracy theory-esque. A lot of it was to fund the war effort, but they want to be able to push a fiat currency, right? A, a currency that's not gold-based. And so they took us off the, the local gold standard in the 30s, the international gold standard in the 70s. But anybody who's like a prepper or um, knows a lot about the economy or doesn't trust the value of the dollar, they're going to buy two things. They're going to buy land because land is tangible and you can hold it. They're going to buy precious metals. So if I know that people who buy numismatic coins also buy land and I'm trying to sell land, I might go target people who buy coins or vice versa. So you mm. might ask yourself, what does my buyer also buy? Like yeah. I know for a fact people buying medical equipment also golf or whatever it is, state nice resorts. You know what I mean? Like there are those things that are analogous to each other and they don't, oh, here's another really good example. Uh, we own an agency that, that markets specifically for Montessori uh, schools, needle yeah. marketing for the business. Sure. Um, Montessori parents are interested in organic foods and doulas like natural birthing centers. So people who are more likely to go to Montessori school are also more likely to be interested in doula. And I can use that for both. I could use that to market a doula. I could use it to market a Montessori school. Get to know your avatar, who they are, and then work to be able to pivot because if you can't necessarily always find intent, what you can find is interest. And interest, I think, is the next best thing. Um, Interesting. So really get to know people and, and what makes them tick because you can kind of start to dive deep. And, and not all demographics are, are created equal. Like, you know, one of the things that we were targeting for a long time was naturopathic physicians. And we found that there was actually two very distinct avatars. Um, a naturopathic physician isn't the same person. There were kind of these older naturopaths that were phasing out and they had all the money in the world. They just didn't understand digital marketing at all. And so it scared them. And right. they wanted to find somebody to take over or sell their practice and kind of let their legacy live yeah. on, whatever. Yeah. And then he had, and we called those Dr. Mike. So Dr. Mike's kind of the old crotchety 50 some year old, like really sharp, tons of money, no idea what to do digitally. And then there was Dr. Sally. Dr. Sally is fresh out of school, no money whatsoever, but really loves digital marketing and mm. gets it and, and understands it. And yet they're both, they're both naturopathic physicians. So that's where I right. think anytime we talk about like a target demographic, demographics fail when compared to avatars. You want to do really specific avatar creation. And I just went full tangent, Casey. I'm so sorry, brother. Bring me back. No worries. I mean, I take notes. I got, I got, I got notes just to keep up with you. I love this man. Uh, first, 
the quote, what does my buyer also buy? So cool. Yeah. So, like what, a, what an interesting question that we don't always think about. We're so single. It's almost like tunnel vision on what we sell. And we talked about, you know, things that we sell. Uh, the customer that buys real estate is going to buy a car as well. But being in that person, you know, what else do the people buy that may make them interested in what I do or just are similar? Right. Very interesting. I think of like, you know, marketers buying, if you buy this software, you're going to need this software. You know, if you're making investments in CRM, you're going to want marketing automation at some point. Right. You haven't invested in one, you're probably not going to invest in the other, vice versa. You know, very interesting. Now, I guess the question to you on that is, how did you learn these things, these little wisdom tidbits? Massive. Well, A, I steal from everybody. So if, you know, okay. if I pretend like any of this is mine, it's, it's a, a kind lie. I go to every conference I can go to. I read sure. everything I get my hands on. Um, the other piece of it, though, is I fail miserably all the time. And that's what good marketing is. I, I mm -hmm. trust, test and, and trial for clients. I take on projects that other people are afraid of, um, which has really served me. Yeah. And, and I, can't, I can't even begin to overstate that. Like, you know, if, if somebody comes out of the woodwork and says, hey, nobody else will touch my, my thing with a 20-foot pole. Now, if you're doing something unethical or impossible, I'm not going to touch <laughs> it. But if, right. it, and, and the dentist is actually a really good example. We were marketing for somebody that wanted to target dentists and dentists are really difficult to get in front of. Okay. Uh, and we, we cracked that nut and we did that through the pivot. And so um, just massive amounts of trial by error, man. I've been doing this 12 years. You do anything for 12 years, you stick with it long enough, you get, That's you true. get at it. That's you know? true. And I, f I feel that way. I've got my Malcolm Gladwell's thousand hours in or 10,000 hours in or whatever it is. Hell yeah. Right? Like I just, you know, I feel competent. That's why I want to do what we're doing here and, and share with people and teach them what's working. It makes sense. But like for the person that we're saying, go figure out what your buyers buy. Ask them. Ask them. Ask right? them. Yeah. I be, that's the other thing too. Yeah. People are flattered when you ask for their help and their opinion. It's like, hey, Casey, you've been a long time client and one of our best clients. I want more people like you. Why did you buy from me in the first place? What did I say that really appealed to you? Yeah. Why did you stay with me? What did you buy right after you bought my product? What did you buy right before? What would you have bought if you didn't buy my product? Who would you have gone oh. to? Just sit down and have this conversation and watch you come back with like pearls of wisdom that you never even imagined were there and none of us think to ask. Although salespeople think to ask it, right? Like you go talk to your salespeople, talk to them first because they know. Um, I don't know if salespeople are pains in the asses and hard to deal with and they've all got egos and they don't fill out the forms ever and they don't follow processes. Like I get all of that, <laughs> I get all, that all the time. Um, but they, they, they're, they're just such a, a necessary, I won't call them evil, but you know, necessary facet of the business. And they, and they know so much Like go, go chop those folks up first and they're going to know who your best clients are. And they're going to know who the clients are that are willing to answer those questions. And they know this because they've been talking to them. Dude, they build relationships. That's, you know, marketers and I'm not, I'm not hitting marketing automation at all because I love it. But marketers think they can automate themselves out of relationship building. True. It's so wrong. You can True. automate yourself into better and more effective relationship building. Mm -hmm. right? Like you can just automate the facets of relationship building that don't need a human touch. But at a certain point, people buy from people, and people want to know that another human is there and and and, and that there's a connection. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think salespeople are still just so relevant because they're really good at the relationship building end of things. You know, and you called it avatar. Are these essentially like buyer personas we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, buyer personas, avatar. I took avatar from Ryan Dice at Digital Marketer. We're, oh, okay. We're, yeah, we're Digital Marketer certified partners. I'm a big fan of them. I drink their Kool-Aid. I, I imbibe their content. Every member of my staff goes through DM training. So I use a lot of their nomenclature. That's cool. Digital Marketer. So they, they've got a training you took, huh? Oh, yeah, they've got cool. a ton of it. Digital Marketer HQ, man. That's really worth looking at. As a matter of fact, when I hire somebody, I put them through DMHQ first and then test them on what they learned in HQ. And if they don't pass, I don't... I, 
I don't bring them on. They're on a trial until then. Um, and it's been the single greatest gatekeeper of my employment history. Um, cause before that, so many people can fake the funk. Oh you know, yeah. Like we've made interviewing a, a, a skill set that children are taught and you know, you come straight out of college and everybody interviews really well and they all, you know, talk the talk and they drop some bud words and you think they know what they're doing. It could take you a year to figure out that somebody really has no clue. That's true. Um, the 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 certification and training that's that's been really powerful for us that's you know that's probably a pro tip for you i don't know that that applies to your listeners no no i mean it it's one of those things where i mean when they say that the cost of a bad hire for a team is you know at least 100k if not more up to oh, the yes, million up. sometimes um but that that's interesting you know so okay that's a good well we'll link to that resource so the digital market i met those guys over at uh, inbound recently but yeah, yeah avatars and personas I, I i love that you you dropped in there the fact that we're trying to get, you know, so many people stop at what we've identified as like profiles, right? The demographic profile This person is this industry and they're this old. And, you know, for the longest time, I thought that's what it was. And, you know, that little, maybe it was HubSpot. I'm going to blame them, but that cute little sheet that has like a smiley face you grabbed from Facebook of Sally and you're like, she's got two dogs and she's a marketer and she's in the you know consulting space or whatever it is right you're like okay yay let's target sally's it's like that's not it you know you need to actually talk to her get from behind your desk talk to sally sales is talking to them that's why they have that information so you get it from them or you just go straight to the you know the ideal customer the customer that's been with you for the longest and those questions you rattled off you know i imagine some people are hitting like back on stitcher a couple times because you rattled off like four or five special questions that indicate other things they're buying, you know, why they originally, what were they, what were they thinking when they first came, but also why do they stay? You know, that's huge. huge. Yeah. Why do you retain? Why, why are you still a client? That's yeah. something I ask people often, actually. Why haven't you left me yet? Yeah. Why, why me? Why yeah. me? So this is awesome, man. You know, you know, one of the things too, and, and uh, cause I, I want to get into some, you know, some of your background too, but there's this one area that I know we talked about is that, oftentimes we, you know, we make these assumptions. We even have these assumptions that, well, of course, this, this is what my buyer's thinking. You know, we kind of, we think that we're the buyer. In some cases you might be, but in some cases you have no idea, but you're making yeah. these assumptions. And so sometimes you're doing testing, you're putting out a use case that you think would make sense for you. And, you know, do we kind of bias the data to point to us or are you seeing people like getting 10 results and calling it quits? Kind of like smash that for us. Yeah. So man, that's brilliant. You know so much more about your industry than your buyer does. And we make so many, so many assumptions. The, the folks that I've seen the most successful, and I forgot who said this, but I'm selling this too. Somebody said that, um, you know, if, if, if the spectrum of communication is zero to 10, okay. right? zero being like the words you use to speak to uh, a pre-toddler, someone who doesn't even really understand language. Okay? Was so, it zero? Toddler? Yeah, zero. Zero is like simple, okay. simple, simple, like, you know, go dog, go. And nice. 10 is like straight up PhD, going to the moon, rocket science, smartest people in the, in the world. Hell yeah. Right? So like zero to 10 is the spectrum of communication. We tend to speak to our prospects at a six or a seven. Okay. And we need to speak to them at a two. And it's, it's, it's a little scary because you don't want to sound condescending, but the truth is, is, is they don't know anything about your industry. I don't know yeah. anything about your, you know what I mean? Like I know digital marketing upside down, right, left and center. I don't totally. know, like when I walk into a mechanic's 
shop, I feel so stupid. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and, and like, and I lose man points and in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm just going to get taken. And, and the mechanic that I stick with is the one that explains me like this thing does this here yeah. and for this reason. I'm like, Oh my God, I totally get it. So, you know, I think it was Einstein that says that somebody who can't explain something simply doesn't understand it well enough. Um, mm. We need to distill the conversation down to a level that everybody can understand. And, and one of the people that does this the best, I think are the folks over at story brand. Um, if you, and I'm about right. to nail them a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to poke them in the ribs. If you look at story brands product, it's so stupid, simple. That guy is selling this one sheet with eight boxes or whatever. He's selling something that every other company on the planet would give away as a lead magnet. And he's selling it for three grand a pop. If you want to do the story brand training, it's thousands of dollars. I think we paid 1500 bucks for the online version, but he articulates so well and he dives so deep and he really expresses the value in it to a degree that where he's built, he's built a million dollar business off this one page of, of content. And when I first saw it, I was like, man, it, you know, this is so simplistic, but it's not, it's just really, really, really well distilled. And I don't think any of us, and I'm, I'm more guilty of this than anybody. This is still something I'm not very good at. I want to like line up the value propositions. You know, when you work with me, you get this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And what he does is he just took that first bullet point, whatever it is, and mm. went, bam, let's talk about this and let's really drive it home. Um, and he built an entire business off it. And I think people that can really articulate their value, Apple's the best example that everybody loves to use. Like the, the simplicity behind Apple you know, there's the whole story. I don't know if you've heard this, but Steve Jobs, when he launched his first computer, he took a six page ad out in the New York Times or whatever. And it was like page after page after page of specs and nobody bought his computer. And he's like, what the hell's going on? So him being uh, one of the smartest guys in the world, he went to school on it and he realized it's not complexity, it's simplicity that they want. Yeah. Um, we need to get better at, at simplicity. Going back to my real estate client, just because we have an agency that, that services real estate investors. Um, one of the things that we were marketing in the very beginning was uh, close in three days. And, and the three-day closes is huge because it can take 30 days to close. Can, What's yeah. really interesting is we found out that that didn't resonate with people at all because they don't know that's a problem until after they choose. <laughs> You're right. They don't. Yeah. They had, <laughs> so they didn't know that that's a risk. Right. And if they don't know it's a risk, you either need to let them know it's a risk or you need to articulate it in a way that makes sense. So what we started to say was choose your closing date. And the reason that resonated with people as we talked to them is they were like, okay, well, we knew that we wanted to buy another house before we moved out or we knew we needed to wait for the movers. So they had whole other reasons that this was going to yeah. be a pain point, but it wasn't the closing three days. The closing three days actually kind of scared some of them. They're like, oh, yeah. we're, we're not we're ready. Yeah, we're not ready. The house isn't ready. Where do I go? Yeah. Right. And so we're up there being like, hey, isn't this a great value? We can actually give you money and get you out of the house in three days. And for some people it was, but for the most part, they didn't understand enough about our industry to, to really make an effective buying purchase. White hat optimization is another one that just pisses me off. There's no such thing as white hat SEO. Do you want to know why? Tell me. Any, any attempt to manipulate ranking in Google's algorithm is technically a violation of their, their terms of service. What that means is that all SEO is black hat SEO. Oh. If you are doing anything to try to manipulate Google's terms of service, you're a black hat SEO. And yet we run around saying, oh, well, I only perform white hat SEO. Now, are there, are there the right ways to go about it, the wrong ways to go about it? Of course there are. But, but that's such a, a BS term that nobody understands. We just throw it out there because we're like, oh, look, you know, look at us. But it's a value proposition that your prospects don't really have a full handle on. That's a good point. You know, that whole JCPenney's thing a while back. Did you hear about that? Hmm. JCPenney's and SEO. I, I don't remember. I guess I'm dating myself here um, on it. When did this happen? The link scheme. Oh, 2011. Yeah. Uh, okay. So JCPenney, some brilliant dude in, in there, in their SEO shop. They, what did they do? They, they did some kind of crazy hack on all of their pages 
so that JCPenney's like shot right to the top. To your point though, that's what we're all trying to do. But I guess there's this sort of invisible line that where Google gets pissed off at you and that's exactly what happened. And so they, they, I don't think got shut off, you know, temporarily and, you know, losing millions of dollars, but for it, it worked though. It made millions. Yeah. Um, well, I've time seen, exposes. Yeah, interesting. There's guys running around now that can get you ranked higher in the predictive search. So, you know, when you start to search something in Google's kind of yeah. like the way the algorithm works now is, is it's just, it's batch and blast. So the most number of searches for a key phrase is what ranks that highest. And so all these guys do is they have bots going through and searching for it. And Google's having a hard time differentiating between those bots and natural users right now. What I tell people is even when you can game the system, cause I've seen it a lot. I've been doing SEO forever. Um, Google's going to catch you. You are never going to outsmart yes. the smartest algorithm for in the sure. world. Google's intention is to put the most relevant quality content in front of a prospect. Totally. So the key to SEO is just be the most relevant quality content, right? Yeah. Like you, if yeah. you are the answer, you will be found. Um, and you, I mean, you need to market your content. You need to do some link building and make sure that your website's clean and do some of the technical stuff. But yeah, like running around and cheating and gaming the system and, and you know, this weird backlink sort of triage stuff that's going on. It's, it's, it's all crap. It's going to, you know, even if it works for the short term, you're never going to benefit long term. You're going to get caught, you know, shit's going to yeah. hit the fan. It's no not question. Work. Yeah. Not worth it. Yeah. 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 Just be the good guys. Just go out there and be the good guys and provide value and, and you'll rank. That's, I, I, it's just been so true. Um, so I guess the white hat for SEO would just be like great content. Yeah, quality, you know, you, you know, there's a myth there that if you just create quality content, Google's going to find it and index it. You have That's to. That's not true, right? It's, no, it's not true. The, the entire, like yeah. Google's page rank, which is named after Larry Page, it's, it's a play on words, so it's not P-A-G-E, it's however his last name is spelled, but yeah. page rank, which is what Google was built off of. So think Google like circa whenever it was founded, like yeah, right? whatever. Um, they're, the way they indicate value is other sites linking to your page. It's like a vote. It's peer review, essentially. Yeah. You know, all your buddies get around and say, hey, Casey's really good when it comes to taxes, and I'm going to talk to you when it comes to taxes. Well, that's what, that's what Google's ranking system is. It's, it's, if other sites are ranking to you in, in a contextually appropriate way with anchor text and you know, on a page that's relevant to that topic, then you're probably relevant for this topic. So the thing that we do is we go to, like, you go to uh, uh, editorial networks, um, submit for guest blogs. You can buy links from like audience bloom or fat Joe and, and they're, they're purchased in the right way. They're purchased in an editorial context instead of just link buying context. Sure. But you do have to market your content. You have to get some of those links built because that's what kind of gives Google an indication that you should even be looked at. Now yeah. at that point you have to have quality content because if you build a bunch of links to crap content and nobody engages with it, well, use interaction is Google's most important ranking factor. Yeah. Uh, and I'm saying that as a guess, nobody knows. Um, anybody who tells you they know anything about Google's algorithm is lying. It's more heavily guarded than most government secrets. Um, or, or the recipe for Coke, right? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I think that thing is, yeah. Who knows? They we just drill into know. the center of the earth and it just it don't comes like oil. Well, man, you know, you got all the, all this information and all this energy. Who are you? Right. <laughs> so how did you become you? What's your life story? And, you know, in 20 minutes. No, like, what kind of, how, how did this even happen? What, were there any sort of important points in your life that sort of like got you to where you are here? How did this all sort of evolve? Yeah, that, I appreciate the question. Um, I, I was building software. I started out as a software engineer. Okay, yeah. Um, and I was building software for, for financial institutions and, and some healthcare organizations like America's TPA. They're the oldest TPA in the nation. We were building some of their backend. Um, and I was at, I was actually at, 
the bank that brought down Lehman Brothers, the bank that catalyzed the financial collapse, and I won't name any names, but you could probably do some Googling and figure them out. It, um, it, it, it brought them down or it was tight, like we all fell down together? Or was it like the one that outed them as being scoundrels? And- oh, no. It was the bank that was selling all those show mortgages, the liar's loans. Yeah. You ever seen The Big Short? Dude, I saw that recently. Yeah, it was, right, good, it was movie. good, right? It's a good movie, yeah. yeah. So when they're talking about they're they're in the the room and they've got all those chips on the table and Ryan Gosling is explaining like why all these mortgages are actually crap and how they just do like dollar cost averaging to make yeah money. all those mortgages not all of them but this is the largest privately owned bank in the nation those mortgages were coming from this specific bank wow I was building some of their software and so I was in I was in the bank on Bank Failure Friday when the FDIC pulled in and their black SUVs and I swear to God they kick in doors you were so you were in the bank when this all went down I was yeah I was in the, we were having a in the office. I, yeah, I mean, I didn't office out of the bank, but I was, they were, I was a client or they were a client of mine. I was a vendor. So I just happened to be at the bank and I only tell them that cool. story to let you know how close I was to it. Yeah. FDIC comes in, they're kicking in doors. They're like taking people's computers. Do uh, they really? I, oh yeah. Oh, dude, You're they just like a me. vendor, right? You're just like a software vendor. Yeah. They well, they couldn't take my computer, but I had to prove that I was a vendor even to get out of the office. And then oh, they make everybody wow. the, the, it was like really exciting, but really like terrifying at the same time. And, and, and some people you could tell knew it was coming. But bankers are notorious for shredding things. So like they come in like full bore. I mean, it's like a, it's like straight out of a movie. Um, They're like gnomes in the back shredding stuff as it's, as it's going <laughs> down. Right. Quick, burn it all. <laughs> yeah. All their little lackeys are running around like throwing grenades into closets and stuff. But um, they seized the bank and, and that started my demise as, a, as my, the first my first company as a software engineer building software for Was that like your primary client then? They were one of my biggest clients. Yeah. And I don't want, I mean, I can't blame them by any means. You know, you lose one client, you go out of business. That means you're an idiot. And I was, I was an idiot. I was a young, young, young man. Um, and I was, I was spending money like an absolute idiot. And so I had zero margin and you're making uh, it rain. I was, yeah, I really was. I really was. (laughs) You know, the young guy thing, when a young guy comes into more money than he should be making, um, and I ended up just like distraction, right? Oh, dude, it was totally, it was bad. Yeah, you know, it, was, it was bad. I was, you know, living the life and uh, I lost everything. My house was foreclosed on, my car was repossessed, which is so embarrassing when it, when all that's happening, like creditors are calling me, I'm, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in debt. Um, yeah, just like, it you was bought just some toys, as- man. You bought some toys. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I did it all the wrong way. Like all the, you know, I, I wasn't listening to What's that, that cat's name, the Southern guy that helped Dave me. Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't listening to Dave Ramsey. I'm on the yeah, Ramsey track now. So oh, I, I bought I, I ended up moving into this apartment building. The only reason I could li- afford to live there is because they were offering three months free if you signed an 18-month lease. So <laughs> I, I just had to scrounge up the 150 bucks for the application fee. And I'm in this apartment, and I don't have internet. Like, I'm going to the – I'm in Casey. I'm telling you, like, broke, broke, broke. Dang, dude. Like, gone. I, I, I don't have internet. I'm, I'm going to Costco. I think I told you this part. I'm going to Costco on, on an expired Costco card. And, you know, Saturday, Sunday, especially in Scottsdale, they've got great, like, free tryouts. And that was my lunch on Saturday and Sunday was just going to Costco. And so I'm like dead broke. Oh, for like the samples, like oh, try it. Yeah, out. I knew when their shift changes were, so I could go back and I could I could make a second round. Dude, um, so that's yeah. just that's that's that's, that's pretty rock bottom, yo. Zero money, like like straight up, just just it was wow. just so bad. I mean, you know, not in my stomach every single day, getting served because I I've got all these creditors running around trying to you know track me down, and and the problem with software is you don't get paid. It was software. You don't get paid deposits. You get a five percent deposit, and then you go get an SBA loan or you know a different. I, I would take SBA oh, loans because I was eligible for them. You go get a loan to float your labor for the two years it would take you to build these big software builds. Well, I couldn't do any of that. So my my core proficiency was was non-existent. And right. and even trying to get a job, you know, if that's something that I wanted to look at, like I I didn't graduate from college, so I don't have the pedigree um, necessary per se. I, I had quite a bit in the way of like 
look what I've built. But I also had like all these credit issues with her shoes. So anyway, I started just like, just to, just to eat. I started building websites. Interesting. Um, a buddy of mine needed a website for his acting studio. And I was like, dude, I can do that with my eyes closed. So I built him a website and uh, I think he paid me like 150 bucks or something. Nice, and in my man. mind, I'm like, well, shoot, this is lunch uh, for, you know, a couple of days like this. So yeah. I, can, I can eat off this. And, and, and it was a little like humbling because the software engineer building websites is, you know, the cook washing dishes in some ways, not to sound arrogant, but I fell in love with that facet of things. And, and more than the websites, I fell in love with like afterwards, the question was, well, what do I do with it? Yeah. And, and my answer initially was, oh, dude, I have no idea. Good luck. And, and, and but mm -hmm. slowly, you know, I saw the opportunity because I, I, I like to think I'm entrepreneurial by nature. And I started to dig into that. And I just like, it just set my hair on fire. I just fell in love. And I, and I, I think my background in software really helped. Because yeah. other people with marketing, they, you know, they come in guns blazing. They're like, you know, it's just very Don Draper-esque. Like everybody's like wants to sit around and just have these really creative ideas. And I'm just, I'm a data-driven marketer is what I call it. And nice. I think that's my term. Like I come from a software background. I go where the data goes and it's made me really successful in this context. Yeah. And, and dude, for the young entrepreneurs listening, I don't know. I hope you don't mind me jumping on a soapbox, but Soap. the lesson that I learned, man, was, was save. You know, like I, I, I had a, an idiot's house up on South Mountain. I had a, a, a car that I shouldn't have been driving and I was always picking up the check for people and I was getting $100 haircuts and just things that were just obscene. And, and, and I mean, kind of like sinful, you know, if you don't mind me contextually that way, just sure, yeah. that I was wasting. And now, like I have zero debt. House is paid off, cars are paid Hell off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like don't, yeah. don't do any of that. I sack my lunches and, and we do, we're doing pretty well. But, but the reason I bring it up, the point I'm making is that as an entrepreneur, I can afford to take risks that other business owners can't take. You know, like I can hire people other people can't hire because I, I can spend more time investing in them. I can, yeah. I can fire clients other people can't fire because I, I can lose a client and not go under. You right. know what I mean? Like I, I just have a, a, a better position than I did the first time around. And it's not because I'm smarter. It's because I was a total idiot and I learned it, you know, the hard way. But if you're listening to this and you're a small business owner, I got it, man, this is, you know, people ask like, oh, if you could go back and, all, and do it all over again. Um, learn to save, learn to play the game of money the right way. Yeah. Read the millionaire next door. Those real people with real mm -hmm. money, they don't drive that crap. They don't, you know, yeah. nobody's running around in a Maserati or Ferrari. You know what I mean? Unless you're like right. eight and now living it up. Like, you know, it's nothing but like I drive a Kia and my wife drives a Prius. And that's, I think that's the way to really try to position it because that's where you get to, I mean, you, you said this at the beginning of the podcast, not to sound arrogant. I've got six businesses on my hands. And the reason I've been able to like do that and, and play shiny object disease and really diversify is because I've gotten good at this game. So that's yeah. so tangential. It's not even funny, man. I'm so sorry, but no, no, I mean, this is, I mean, your story is talking about, you know, we've, we've had the intent. This is the context, right? Yeah. This is in. So when you talk about failing forward, I know that was something you brought up failing forward in marketing is failing, but learning from it. It's yeah. like, you're like, you're like a walking marketing experiment. You, you've done <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to look at it, you know? And it's helpful that you had a really cool dramatic, I mean, you're like a walking Ted talk, right? Yeah. You had this like agents descending on a bank and you're like, Oh, I'm innocent. I'm not even part of this. Like, but then you lost, I mean, to lose everything though, no, it's, it's humbling, but it sounds like you really, you, instead of just, you know, like, Oh, poor me, you figured out. Okay. Well, well no, there was a, there was a significant point. I'm me. sure there was. Yeah, you I'm have have, over that it's okay to mourn. Yeah. For, yeah like, there were a lot of late nights spent in a, in a, in a, bathtub with gasoline lighting matches like you know oh, i mean there was just some like yeah. never coming back but you know what i never bk i paid off all my debt i can't say i paid it off to like in full because the, the, the secret to getting out of debt by the way is to decimate your credit 
the minute creditors think that you're about to BK, they, you know, you can sell for pennies on the dollar, which is what I did. Um, never did the debt consolidation thing, just negotiated all myself and, yeah. uh, and feel really good about that. You know, like feel good about having cleaning done, everything up. Yeah. Kind yeah. of the right way. And, you know, my wife probably had a little bit to do with that too. She's pretty financially savvy. Were you, were you married at the time when this was all oh, happening? Dude, that's probably what really lit a fire under me. I was not married and okay. I met this, you know, I'm, I'm broke. I'm, I'm driving this POS $1,600 Honda. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I meet this girl and she's amazing. And like everything I've ever wanted in a person. And I'm in like, like the absolute lowest period of my entire <laughs> life. You know what I mean? Like not exactly presenting, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> putting my best foot forward. Yeah. I mean, I could barely even take her out, you know, like just yeah. like, and, and that's taking you out at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, Hey, can you get this one under the next one? But she didn't, you know, she didn't, she's just not like that. And, and, but what it did do is it let me know, and I'm going to about to be like a horrible, you know, poster child for patriarchy maybe, but I was like, man, I really want to take care of this person. You know, I want I want a family. Yeah. I want kids. I want to get married. And that, that's when it, that's when I started to open my horizons to things other than what I thought I like, you know, for a long time, I was pushing the software thing hard because I was a software engineer and I built these things and, you know, why can't people recognize that? And then as soon as that, my ego became less important to me and I, I became receptive to other opportunities, that's when everything really kind of started to flourish a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I was willing to take a $150 website gig. Um, so, and, you know, I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, of course being humbled, but then also just wanting to more than just like the narrative I had built for myself, which comes back bringing it full circle, you know, like the story we want to tell for ourselves and the story that could be told if we were willing to be receptive. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that plays into marketing, you know, like be open to it. Yeah. Or, I can or, see or that. Saying, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's just, there's so much more available to us if we're, if we're receptive and we stay open. Yeah. You, you, you're, if you keep trying to project this image of maybe what you're not, it's also not what people are picking up off you either. Yeah. You know? And, and so, you know, talking to your customer, talking to your friends, even about yourself, but understanding what was the real reason we hung out, you know, by yeah. the way, really cool that you met her after all that stuff happened and I not, tell her that. you know, buying stuff left and right. Cause you'd be like, I don't know, you know, like, you know, why, you know, why did people hang out with me? But you yep. know, it was probably pretty clear to you who your friends were and who wasn't when oh, dude, your friends vaporized. You, right? Yeah. When you yeah. go broke, people just, I mean, it's, it's comical. Like, you know, it's, yeah. People just disappear and a couple really good folks stuck around and help you through it. And that's cool. Yeah. And she wouldn't have liked me, you know, pre. Yeah. Pre she, she would not. Yeah. I would not have been her dude. Yeah. She would have, she, I mean, she's, she has an international, she has a degree in international human rights. She's oh, been wow. peacekeeping. She started the one foundation in her school. She's an anti-bullying speaker. Like, like this is the purest heart in the world. Right. She's not going to hang out with the dude that's getting hundred dollar haircuts. You know, like that's just not, um, that's not her bag. So, you know, I, you mentioned the hundred dollar haircut and obviously my haircut's like $12 <laughs> and an extra three, but, uh, not much to, to, but what you got going on there, that's pretty good. I mean, you oh, top, top got, five of hardcore marketing haircuts. We've had a couple good ones on here. So go on Casey. I've got, I've got it hooked <laughs> up. I've got a $25 haircut right down the street. It takes me 12 minutes. Okay. So you've reduced yeah. that by, what was it? Three, oh, dude, I'm the 75% reduction in your haircut cost. Yeah. Yeah, I don't <laughs> and that's after tip too. He's a, that's he's oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. After tip. Good. Yeah. After tip. Keep track. But you know, it, it all worked out and that you met someone at the right time when you were more you, you know, with yeah. all that stuff, with all that sort of not you stuff that was chipped away. That's pretty yeah. Burned away is the way I like to look Burned at it. Away, huh? <laughs> you know, like it was just, a little more violent than getting chipped away. Yeah. Yeah. It was 
put through the incinerator, but it feels good. You know, it feels good to have that story. It feels good to share it too. Yeah. You know, as long as it's not, it's maybe a little self-indulgent, but it's nice to kind of like be like, Hey, here's where I came from. This is what happened. And this is maybe why I am the way I am a little bit. You know, this is, um, yeah, it's sort of fun. And now you got two kids, you're crushing it and yeah. you make movies. Oh, yeah, you I got two babies. You still make movies? I'm going to go back to making movies. You yeah, I made, I've been in, I've been in 80 films. 80 um, films. Are yeah. you on IMDb? If I, oh, if I yeah. yeah it, it's so easy to get on IMDb. That's no big deal. I'm not on there. <laughs> yeah. I, I could get you on there tonight. All right. Get me on there. I like post this and then call this a movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I quit to, to go make money because, you know, that can occupy a person, especially a dad. I got to pay for college now. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Do I make another movie or do I pay for college? Well, what I tell people is when I'm a liquid billionaire, which is the goal, then I'm going to go lose all my money making movies. Right. Well, you know what? Like really bigger picture, lose all your money doing what you love. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Making movies, probably hopefully doing with my babies. If I can talk my kids into hanging out with me long enough, we'll see what happens. Well, man, there's plenty of those like dads that do the cool videos with their kids and they Facebook and, or you just keep it, you know, for the home collection. Yeah. No, I'd be all about it. That sounds like a blast. That's sweet. Well, cool, man. Well, this has been awesome. If you look at the clock, but like time is just like time warped through. Yeah, dude, I appreciate you having me. Like this is, this is great. Uh, yeah. You got an awesome show. You know, it's almost like we were in like a, a ship traveling at the speed of light, you know, for everyone else, it was an hour and a half. For us, it was like 15 minutes. Bam. Yeah. yeah physics. Right. So crazy. <laughs> Hashtag physics. Hashtag physics. Well, awesome. Hey, where are some places people can connect with you? Connect with you, uh, you know, um, definitely on the intent, the idea of the search, you know, where, where do pe- people go? What links should they put in there? Should they contact you personally? What, give us some links. Give us some way to contact you. Yeah, if you're interested in hiring my agency, if you want somebody to run your ads, and that's what we do, by the way. Like that's my, my, our AdWords team is in the top 3% of all AdWords providers in the world for performance and customer care. That's my little soundbite. So we're assassins yeah. when it comes to PPC. So if you want PPC help, uh, go to solutions eight, which is S O L eight.com S O L the number eight.com. Uh, if you want to connect with me, just, you know, you want some consulting or you want to tell me I'm an idiot or whatever. Uh, my website is my name, Um, you can always hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm there more than just about anywhere else. Uh, not a big Twitter user anymore. It got, it got messy. Got messy. Yeah, I don't know if you feel it's coming back. It's coming back. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, it's I gonna like unfollow a whole of bunch really of good conversations in Twitter, and now it's just you know, it's just hate. It's just it's true. You through the screen. Yeah, it's just all marketers on there polluting. Yeah, it. yeah, that's <laughs> what we do. Marketers ruin everything. But yeah, awesome, but yeah, that's man. about it, man. I, I appreciate you having me on, Casey. Thanks so much, dude. Yeah, right on, dude. Well, you know, uh, this has been cool. So we're gonna put all those links for everyone listening. Uh, we'll put them in the show notes so that if you didn't write it down. In two seconds, instead of having to re, you know rewind, just go to the show notes on the website. And uh, yeah, hey, thanks again, dude. This is good. this is great. You got lots of stuff to think about. Some notes. Going to have to spend some time digesting it. Um, yeah, hundred awesome. percent. Hope it was helpful. Totally. If everyone out there, you know, if you heard something on here that caught your attention, you heard something on here that you know it was almost it would be a catalyst here, right? You can't solve your problem in an hour and a half, but we get you thinking about it, and that's that's really the goal here. So if you heard something like that. And you should, unless you can't hear anything, in which case I understand. But if you heard something, definitely share this. Like, you know, shoot a quick note to someone, link up to the podcast, tell them, hey, check this thing out. Check this episode out. I learned a whole bunch. Uh, that way we can just keep this stuff spreading, just keeping the good stuff spreading. 
And uh, yeah, and that's it, everyone. So, hey, we will catch you next time. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. See ya. Bye.